as you turn to Philippians chapter 1, and if you're new to the scriptures, Philippians is, is toward the back. It's a tiny little book, so there's no shame in using the table of contents, but, but Philippians is toward the back. It's a letter uh, that we're going to be walking through slowly over the next couple of months. Um, and as you turn there, as you pull it up on your phone, I want to ask you, feel free to respond to this, what's your favorite book or favorite movie, but your favorite book or favorite movie that has a twist at the end or an unexpected ending? You want to have a book or a movie that doesn't have a, an ending you expect? Seven? What was it? Inception. Six cents. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Very nice. What is it? Hatchet. Okay. What else? A simple favor. I don't know that one. Okay. Like I love, I love twists. Like I, I'll. It could be like some sometimes the most obvious twist. I'll be like, whoa, where did that come from? Uh, Sixth Sense was one of those, right? Like, oh, you look back on it, and you're like, obviously, very, very obviously. Um, but, and, and I'm not going to ruin that if you haven't seen it, 50, 20 years old, whatever. Um, if, there's a, if there's a twist, even the slightest twist at the end of some TV episode, like, it doesn't matter what time it is, I'm going to hit next on the ne- next episode on the Netflix button. Um, Usual Suspects, you want to remember that movie with Kevin Spacey? That's, I, I'm not going to tell you about it, but it is like top five movies for me, absolutely. Yeah, Jack? Two. Star Wars. And Avengers. Awesome. The one where they all float away. That's an unexpected. Right? Kate, were you going to say something? Moana. Moana. I mean, it's an island that turns into a goddess. So, like, that's not unexpected. Okay? We had to pause and be like, that's not how we believe the earth came into existence, but good for you. All right, Trav, last one. Two movies, tell me real quick. Star Wars and Harry Potter, there we go. Okay, so I, as well as many of our children, love movies with twists, TV shows with twists. Um, One of my favorite fiction authors is an author named Daniel Silva, who has like 20-some books. His, His protagonist, his hero, is a Israeli assassin whose cover is an Italian art restorer. Uh, and so these books are just like they're, they're spy stuff and culture and art and politics and, and religion. And, of course, a lot of things blow up. It's awesome. Um, but there's always like three or four twists in the plot. It's what keeps me coming back to Silva's books. And, and I can't even give you examples of what happens. We give, give it away. Um, but I love twists in movies. I love twists in, in, in literature. At the same time, though, I don't often expect there to be twists in real life. Is this true for you? Like what happens in books, what happens in movies, I just don't ever really expect that to be true in normal life. And I think that's true for a lot of us. We see a situation and we expect there to be one outcome. We, we kind of look at it. We're like, oh, this, I, I know this pattern. I know how this works. You gotta, I, the game of life starts with this. If I go to high school, this happens. If I go to college, that happens. And so it's like instilled in us that there's one expected outcome from, from whatever situation faces us. If you pursue the American dream, you're going to find one expected outcome. Your way of life will lead to an expected outcome. You resonate with this? Like whatever we, wherever we look, there's a lot of kind of A equals B, and that's just kind of how we expect it to happen. Um, this week and next week, we're, we're going to be in Philippians 1, and, and it's kind of one stream of thought together. But, but if you've ever read Paul you know that he packs a whole lot into every sentence, into every paragraph, and that he has some sentences that should be split up into paragraphs, in English at least. And, and so he packs a lot into 
these things. So we're going to split his, his one stream of thought into two different weeks. Because it's not just enough. We're not going to settle for just hearing the word. We want to immerse ourselves in it and see what Jesus would invite us to in it and, and, and to be doers of the word. So we're going to tackle one theme for two weeks, one, one question for two weeks. And, and here's the question. It's how does Jesus reshape Paul's view of his own circumstances? And how does Jesus do the same in our circumstances today? And I'll repeat it. It's a long question. Um, but the, here's a question for today and for next week. How does Jesus change Paul's view of his circumstances? And essentially, how could Jesus do the same in our circumstances today? And so last week, Nicole introduced uh, Philippians. What, what is the circumstance that Paul's in, the literal circumstance? What's happening to Paul as he's writing this letter? Yeah, he's in prison. Okay, now Paul is a traveling missionary. His goal is to proclaim Jesus to as many cities, as many places as he can go. And so what's the expected outcome of prison for a traveling missionary? That, that's it. Like, sto- story's over. It's, it's done, right? But Paul's going to show us by his own circumstances, both this week and again next week as well, that in Christ, God actually leads, into, leads him to some unexpected outcomes of Paul's own circumstances. Some unexpected outcomes. And, and if that's true of Paul, then we have to ask, could that be true for us. I just want to pray, and then we'll dive into Philippians 1. So, Father, would you, would you, uh, would you show us your invitation to us? Would you lead us by your word, Lord? Would you uh, make yourself known more personally and more deeply to us? And would you help form us and shape us by the power of your Spirit from the example of Paul as he follows the example of Jesus? In your Son's glorious name we pray these things. Amen. All right, so I want to read um, Philippians 1, 12 through 18, and, and you're going to hear of some of Paul's circumstances. I want you to think, like, what's the expected outcome of, of these? And, and I think what you find is discouragement. You'd expect the end of Paul's mission. You'd expect the end of Jesus's message. But as I read this, I want you to listen for the unexpected outcome and see how God uses all of these circumstances. Philippians 2, uh, 1, starting in verse 12. He writes to the church at Philippi. I want you to know, brothers and sisters as well, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the whole Roman guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the second group, do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Jesus out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And perhaps your Bible breaks there, but perhaps it finishes the verse, which says, yes, I will rejoice. All right, so, so what did you hear? What did you see as you read these verses this week? Uh, what, what were the unexpected endings to Paul's circumstances? What did you notice? Anything? Yeah, fellow believers get more bold rather than less bold. Yeah, in verse 13 and 14, you see that. I'm going to kind of comment on some of these. Um, 
one of the ways that, that God produces an unexpected outcome is that God uses Paul's suffering to, to produce gospel confidence. Paul's suffering produces gospel confidence. And, and diving into that just a little bit, Paul, Paul is literally in chains. He's suffering. The imperial guard is not uh, friendly toward Paul. They're, they're not fellow followers of Jesus. And in most cities, he's either in, in, in Rome or Ephesus, in most cities, um, prisons had four guards on duty for four shifts, or excuse me, four hour shifts, 24-7. And, and so there's a lot of chance for Paul to speak to the guards. And he says the rest as well. He gets to talk to the, the fellow prisoners as well. And he gets to share the gospel with them. But the gospel that Paul, I want to be really sensitive here, but, but, but I want to bring this out. The gospel that Paul shared is not kind of the truncated version that seems to be the one way we know, and many Christians in America today know how to talk about the good news of Jesus. Like he probably wasn't asking him, hey, if you die tonight, do you know where you'll go? Although maybe, maybe in prison, that's a more poignant question than for, for a lot of our like normal, comfortable circumstances that that gets asked of. Um, the gospel is for eternal life. There's no minimization of that, but, but it's also more than that. The, the gospel was, was good news and is good news in, in a Roman prison and on a back patio in Fort Worth for every moment of life today. Now, on Tuesday, a, a theologian named Rene Padilla died, and, and you've probably not heard his name, but, but you've been shaped by, by the work of Rene Padilla more than you know. Um, he's a South American theologian who's raised in poverty. Um, he's the father of what's called integral mission in English. Mission Integral is, is the Spanish for it. And, and the, whole, the whole premise of Mission Integral is that evangelism and social change are two wings of one plane. One plane is evangelism, or one wing is evangelism, one wing is, is social change. And it's a view that has shaped organizations like Compassion International and and world vision, and, and to some degree, without you even knowing, it's, it's shaped salt and light's priority that says the gospel applies to every moment, but that, that the gospel also applies and leads us to pursue transformative cultural engagement. That's the priority. And Padilla one time famously summarized the holistic implications of the gospel. This is in, in like 1974, I think, at the, the Luzon Conference, that produce some of the documents that our church uh, relies on theologically. And, and so Padilla said, Jesus Christ came not just to save my soul. Now again, he, he affirms that Jesus came to save souls. He doesn't ever downplay that. He says, though, that, that, that that's just not all Jesus did. Jesus Christ did not come just to save my soul, and I love how he says it, but also to form a new society. Jesus didn't just save souls. He came to form a new society. That was the good news that was advancing in the first century Roman world. That was the message that addressed the brokenness seen throughout the Roman Empire. That's the reason that Paul was in prison. Because if, if, if he had just been talking about what happens after you die, frankly, Rome wouldn't have cared. But rather, Paul was bringing this message of a new kingdom, a better kingdom, and a better king than Caesar. Paul was bringing a better message of joy and peace that surpasses the, the Pax Romana that Rome was famous for. Paul was saying there's joy that goes beyond whatever circumstance, that, that there's, there's purpose in every situation. This, this good news was revolutionary at the time, just utterly revolutionary. And so Paul 
was thrown in prison for that kind of a good news. And that's the good news he got to share with the imperial guard and with the Roman citizen or with the other citizens. And, and so I'm, I know I'm going off on a, on a tangent from what Roger said a minute ago, but Paul's imprisonment did not throw off God's plan. Paul's imprisonment was part of God's plan. And we need that same message, Paul's message, Jesus's message, Rene Padilla's message today as much as first century Rome and Ephesus and Philippi needed it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is creating a better community because he is a better Lord. Jesus is correcting every wrong in the world because Jesus conquered the world and is conquering the world. And so if this message is true, then there's even good news for Paul when he finds himself suffering and in chains. Like he had a captive audience for, for the, no pun intended, but pun intended. He had a captive, literally captive audience for folks to hear this message of good news of a better king. It also might mean that there's good news for us, whatever our circumstances are, whatever form of suffering we face, whether big or small or subtle or overt, might mean there's good news for us if, if we're overtly or subtly persecuted. It might mean there's good news for us if we face some sort of job loss or uncertainty there. Could it be that, that God is doing something we can't see? Could it be that he's redirecting our path or inviting us into something new or or just causing more dependence or faith in us. There's good news in everything the world would label good. He's just showing off his goodness and his glory and his grace and putting it on display. And there can even be good news in things the world around us would call bad. That doesn't negate grief. These two things can be held in tension. We can have hope and we can grieve. There's even proof text verses that talk about that. We, we, we're right to lament and mourn brokenness, but, but in the midst of it, there could be an unexpected outcome, something better in God's eyes. And, and as an aside, if I can say this for just a second, I, I love the unity in the Old and New Testaments. God, God had us just because we started in Psalm 1 and we're 16 weeks in now. God, God had us in Psalm 16 tonight, and, and there's a lot of echoes of Psalm 16 in Paul's words. God, you're my chosen portion and cup. You hold my lot. Paul's echoing some of that. I set, I, I set you always before me because, at you, because you're at my right hand. I'm not shaken. You can't help but sense some of Paul's own confidence in this message. You won't abandon my soul to Sheol. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. If David could write that, before Jesus came, hoping in the promise of a Messiah, how much more can Paul say and echo the same kind of confidence? How much can we echo the same kind of confidence looking back at what Jesus has already done? And, and so that's, that's the confidence that Paul's imprisonment instilled in his brothers and sisters. Last week, Paul introduced himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And we know this, if you serve one master, then you don't have to worry about others. Have confidence, be bold, sisters and brothers, Paul might say. If we serve Jesus and we believe that he matters to all of life, then there's nothing else to fear. And so God used Paul's suffering 
to instill confidence. There's nothing else to fear. If he can be doing this, how much more can I outside of prison have confidence? Is that good news? What else? What else do you notice as far as Paul's circumstances and, and unexpected outcomes? There's a couple more that I see at least. What do you notice? Yeah, yeah, he's in prison, and yet he's finding something to rejoice in that goes beyond his own circumstances. Yeah, that's great. And beyond just himself, in, in his circumstances, he knows that the gospel is advancing. And, and that to me is one of the, maybe the biggest paradox in this little section of verses, that, that God use, uses Paul's confinement for gospel advancement. So we just said in, in, in verse 13 and 14, he, used, he uses Paul's suffering to instill confidence in others. In verse 12, he uses Paul's confinement for, for gospel advancement. And, and this is something we see throughout Paul's life. I love that you brought that up, Kathy. He never sees himself as a slave to his own circumstances. He always sees himself as a servant to something bigger. He, he never sees himself as, as a passive recipient of his circumstances. He always sees whatever is going on as, as, as like a, an active part of God's plan. Paul always sees that everything has a purpose. And I want to say that again, but as I do, I want you to think of this past year and whatever this past year has held for you. Is this sentence hard to say? Is this a hard sentence to believe? Paul always saw whatever happened to be an active part of God's plan. And Paul always saw that everything had a purpose. Is that hard for you? Can, can we honestly say that with Paul? Or is there part of it that goes, man, that's an aspirational goal for me. I wish I could say that, but I, I just don't know. There's moments of that that I would say, that, that's where I'm, I'm at. I don't know if I could say that. But, but that's true of how Paul started the, the church at Philippi. And Nicole brought in the backstory last week. Paul was, he wanted to go somewhere else, and he was redirected by the Holy Spirit. And he had this vision of someone saying, come to this area, come to, come to Macedonia. And it wasn't a logical thing, but Paul trusted God and came and new followers of Jesus. And a new church was birthed, and this is the church that he's now writing a letter to. In, in kind of a similar vein, this past week, our DNA groups uh, finished, our, our DNA group finished sharing stories. Just right on target, two months later than we thought we'd be done finishing sharing stories, but what we finished. And Brent Dore shared his story, and, and he shared about a work situation that he'd really longed for. going to be this kind of ideal work scenario that he'd wanted for, for what, close to a decade maybe? Um, not quite, but, but, but a while, and it just had not been possible. And then in the midst of COVID, with the way that work was changing and this kind of stuff for a lot of us, like all of a sudden this door had been opened that was not previously open. And in his story, he, he used the term, one of the blessings of COVID. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if that strikes you. I think that puts something into words that some of us have maybe been afraid to say, because it sounds like really, I can't say that. It sounds almost heretical to say there could be anything good in the midst of this past year. But I, but I, think, he, I think he put into words something that a lot of us feel. Like this last year has had a lot of pain and a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of whatever else for, for many of us. But in the midst of that, can you point to a moment and say, there was some grace in this, or there was some opportunity in it, there was some goodness in this. 
And if so, then this past year is like a lot of life, just maybe a more overt picture where there's always elements of pain and hurt. And yet in the midst of it, there's always elements and pieces and glimpses of, of beauty and, and good. This is Paul's mindset. In Jesus, every circumstance has purpose. Why can he rejoice? Like Kathy said, Kathy just disappeared apparently. But, but why could... Why, why could he rejoice in every circumstance? Because Paul sees that in Jesus, every circumstance has a purpose. Verse 12, he says, what has happened to me, even his arrest and imprisonment served to advance the gospel. That's an unexpected outcome. Like think about this, confinement is literally, the one thing confinement's supposed to do is to cease the movement of something, right? In this case, it was supposed to cease the movement of Paul, cease the movement of the gospel, to stop the gospel from going forth. But God had an unexpected plan here. Even in prison, the gospel go for, went forward. The gospel continued to move through Paul's, not, be, not despite, but through Paul's confinement. And then as we just said, he got to share the gospel with a bunch of guards and prisoners. Here's the last thing that, that I notice in these verses, and, and then we'll see if you see anything else. Um, verse 15 through 18, um, God uses selfish ambition for gospel proclamation. So he said he uses Paul's confinement for gospel advancement. He uses Paul's suffering for gospel, to instill gospel confidence. And then God uses even, even selfish ambition for gospel proclamation. Um, in, in 2019, I was hired by a Canadian missions organization who at the time had this vision of expanding their church planting efforts into multiple organizations. They're going to partner with a lot of different organizations and denominations, and they're going to expand their church planting efforts into different countries. And it was a great vision. It was a very kingdom-minded vision. There was immediate fruit. Like in multiple countries, churches got planted. It was just like unexpectedly quick fruit. And so I started with them full-time. Uh, on on June sixth, uh, June first, excuse me, June first of 2019, and then on June third of 2019, solid 48 hours later, uh, this announcement came out that they were cutting the church planting branch, and that they were cutting all non-Canadian efforts. So that was cool. Um, the explicit reason that was given, and again, we're we're thinking of like selfish ambition here, is what Paul's mentioning. The explicit reason that was given is that the denomination who owned this organization wanted to limit its work to only serve their denomination and to only serve Canada. And as an American, I want to be sensitive to other cultures. It felt pretty selfish. It felt pretty limiting, especially since they had just seen and gotten a report of like within, within a couple months leading up to this, like some dis disproportionate, amazing fruit. The whole executive team was gone. The board of directors was in disarray. And all the fruit and all the nations and all the partnerships just essentially disintegrated. And on the personal side, you can imagine, put yourself in those shoes. That was really hard. It was really confusing. We just prayed about this. We, we walked through a long discernment process. It was affirmed by, by the church's elders. It, it was the right move. What now is happening? Why, why is this happening? And now, two years later... Is June 1st, so almost two years later, there's a few answers to, to what was happening. I didn't see them then, but now I can look back and go like, man, God used that very brief season. I was with them part-time, and they, they kept me on for a little bit afterwards. So it was about a four, six-month season, all said and done. God used that time to grow me in his view of the church and his view of the nations and his love for other things. Like, there's still, like, 
for such a brief season, personally, God grew my vision for what he was doing around the world and what churches could be. God cared for our family and grew our dependence in really unexpected ways. And frankly, today, as I was reflecting on this, as the story came to mind, I can't imagine what it would have looked like for a Texan to work for a Canadian organization during the majority of 2020. So I probably would have ended out jobless somehow. And so I don't know if all of what God is doing, but, but there's some grace and there's some moments as I look back at that. Beyond just personally, two new organizations burst out of the disintegration of that one in two different countries, and at least three other organizations that I know of, their efforts have been bolstered as staff got redistributed in this kind of stuff. And, and so, so I, I, I don't equate that situation. I'm not trying to say at all that I was like Paul, but, but these verses were really meaningful to me. Paul's response to what seemed like a selfish opposition like a, an, an unjust and an unwise, confusing thing. His, his response to that was really, really helpful for me during that year. The denomination seemed selfish, uh, even, even jealous of, of the gospel fruit that was being produced in other denominations and in other countries that weren't their own. There was some, there was some legitimate envy and rivalry, to quote Paul in these verses. But through that selfish move that hindered one organization, Jesus was more proclaimed in Canada and in the States and in the world through different people and organizations that started out of that one decision. Does that make sense? And so to these verses, we don't know exactly who Paul's opponents were. He talks about having opponents here. Perhaps they were a legalistic Christian sect. Uh, he, he writes about that in, in other New Testament letters, folks who wanted to... to stick with some Jewish traditions and said you can't be a Christian unless you follow things like circumcision. Uh, perhaps they were folks who weren't believers, uh, who, were, who were just stirring people against Caesar, and Jesus was kind of a famous, convenient name to be pointing to. If you're confused by that, we still see this today, where, where folks who probably don't actually know Jesus still use the name of Jesus to promote their own message or their own politics or their own platform. Um, Similarly, we don't, we don't know exactly how they were hindering Paul. Again, some folks think that they were blocking Paul from receiving some of the resources that were given to him. Uh, there, there's a, a vein of thinking that's pretty legitimate. It says it could be a racial thing because Paul was a, a Jewish, uh, of Jewish heritage and in uh, a Roman-based prison, and so there could be some racial tension here. Maybe it was just even accidental. We, we, don't, know, we don't know who was opposing Paul. We don't know how they were hindering him. But whatever it was doesn't really matter because Paul's response would have been the same no matter who they were, no matter what the hindrance was. His response is like this beautiful indifference, if not outright celebration. What's he say in verse 18? The name of Jesus is proclaimed, so I rejoice. Whether in pretense or integrity, I rejoice. And I look at that and I go, wow. Like, could, could I, put yourself in my shoes, put yourself in Paul's shoes, could, could I look at other veins of Christianity, prosperity gospel, those that are more conservative than I trend, those that are more liberal than I trend, wherever we are on that spectrum, could, could, could I look even at people who, who probably like convenient Judeo-Christian values but who likely don't know Jesus? And when they maddeningly invoke Jesus's name for their own purpose, could I say, if there's even a glimpse of truth 
in their viewpoint, could I say, at least Jesus is being proclaimed, and in that, whether pretense or integrity, I rejoice. Could, could you say that? Could I say that? That's what Paul says. And so here, here's the point in all this today, is that Paul's facing confinement, he's facing suffering, he's facing opposition, but in Christ, he doesn't settle for the logical, expected outcome of any of those circumstances. Paul saw each as an opportunity. Paul, Paul saw the, the unexpected outcome in each of those. He saw each as a chance for the gospel to go forth. Do you see your circumstances in that same way? To, to back it up a little bit, to personalize it, what, what circumstances do you feel like you're facing today? Christianity's a, a, a communal thing. What, what circumstances, what situations are facing us and your DNA group and, and even the American church today? Whatever comes to mind circumstantially for you, for, for the broader us, what's the logical expected outcome because if we accept that outcome as the only option, th then I have to believe that whatever situations are starting to swirl in your mind are going to feel pretty hopeless. Like if that's the only outcome, we're going to feel hopeless in the face of division and hate and suffering of whatever form and job loss and tough moments with our kids and tough moments with our parents and the stereotypes of Christians in America today, and politics, and hard relationships, and just the busyness of life that distracts us from Jesus, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel hopeless. But in those things, or in whatever, whatever situation comes to mind for you, what if God has a twist? Like, what if he has an unexpected outcome for you? What if God's inviting you into a new thing? We're putting you in a position to build greater spiritual fruit in you or through you. What if God wants to use your exact situation for some purpose that's better than you can know or you can see? Do you believe God could do that? Do you believe God would do that only in other people, or do you believe he'd actually do that in you? Because in that, there's good news in all circumstances. So don't stop believing, because <laughs> it's been just blasting in my ears, and I can't help but reference the song. Because <laughs> you were thinking it too. <laughs> and before we move into communion, let, let, me, let me pause and just ask, what, is, is the Spirit saying anything to anyone? What's, what's God showing you in this text that we haven't, now you can't stop hearing it. I know what I just did, it's my fault. Um, is there anything that you see in these verses? Or, or are there examples? Is there something that God has done in you and produced an unexpected outcome that, that might be encouraging to, to someone else? Is Spirit prompting anything in anyone? Ben, is that for everyone or is that just for you guys? Just for you guys, okay. I want to make sure. Anything come to mind? Yeah, just is there any 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 prompt, anything the Spirit is stirring in you? Any, any examples of where you've seen this or just even anything else in the verses that we haven't? 
chatted about yet. Kind of an open question. Does God have anything through you for each other? Okay. If God brings things to mind, I'd encourage him, encourage you share with DNA folks, stick around afterwards. He's doing this all the time. And we're going to kind of leave this message half halfway done. We're going to pick it up next week. There's going to be just a little bit of kind of a, a, a cliffhanger ending because um, he continues the stream of thought that he's on. But, but I think that's probably enough, maybe even too much for some of us to be able to chomp on this week. Of what is God doing in my circumstances right now? What, what unexpected outcomes might God have for me? There's the question for us to pay attention to this week. But, but I want to close with this. You know what it was that made all the difference to Paul in his circumstances? Do you, do you, do you know what his worldview was that, that can help us by his example in our own circumstances? It's that Paul was not really paying attention to himself. But rather, this is a point Kathy made earlier, had his eyes unswervingly focused on Jesus. And that's a theme we're going to see all throughout Philippians. Paul says, don't look at me, look to Jesus. My very life, we'll see him say next week, only matters if it's lived in light of a bigger picture and in light of a better story. And so Paul consistently through this book and through his life will point away from himself and his own circumstances and will point to Jesus and will point to God's bigger purposes. Again, Paul gets sad. He mourns. He grieves brokenness. And yet he's consistent and unswerving in looking away from himself to see what God might be up to. And so grab your little uh, communion cup if you didn't get it. Um, I need to figure out where I put mine. Um, and if you're new to this, the, the little white thing on top isn't just a design. That's the uh, bread is a loose term, but it's, a, it's the wafer. And then underneath is, is the grape juice. Uh, but even in Paul's example in these verses, he's echoing something bigger and more true of our Lord Jesus. And, and here's what I mean. Whatever Paul faced, Jesus faced more. Whatever we faced and face and will face, Jesus faced more. Like, like follow me on this. More than Paul and more than we ever will be, Jesus was opposed, right? M more than just being confined to a prison, Jesus was dead and buried in a tomb. More than Paul's chains, Jesus was wrapped in burial clothes and, and like mummy wrappings, essentially. More than Paul, I might have been saying more than Jesus this whole time, more than Paul's chains, Jesus was bound by a burial wrap. And more than Paul, Jesus did not fight for his own life but rather always looked to the better purpose of God the Father, to the point where he sacrificed and died for us. But then in Jesus, we see the greatest unexpected outcome in all of history. Because there is one expected outcome for death, and that's what? You stay dead. Like That is the expected outcome. There is not another possibility of an unexpected outcome, and yet... God's purpose was bigger and death couldn't stop Jesus and hold Jesus. God's power was greater than even the power of death. And God rose Jesus up from the dead and ushered in the best good news in the world. 
in Jesus' death, we are restored and cleansed and promised eternal life. And in Jesus' resurrection, we have purpose in every circumstance and in our life now because we have a better king and a better kingdom. Is that good news? In Jesus, God has unexpected outcomes for all of our circumstances. That's true for Jesus. That's true for Paul. That's true for you. That's true for me. That's the good news that was advanced and proclaimed with confidence by Paul and by those in prison and by the brothers and sisters who were inspired by him. That's the good news that can be proclaimed with, with, with confidence by you and me all the time. And it's also the message of the bread and the wine or the wafer and the grape juice for today's purposes. This is the bread that proclaims and remembers Jesus' broken body. Broken that you may be restored to God the Father. Take and eat. And in this cup, we remember and we proclaim that Jesus' shed blood was spilled on your behalf for you and for many. Take and drink. God, this is our proclamation. This is our declaration. This is our remembrance. This is what we believe to be the best good news in all of history. Jesus, thank you for changing every circumstance. And God, with Jesus, with Paul, we rejoice, yes, and we will rejoice. Amen?